in this collaborative episode from Kamish Talks, Sports Leadership, and Sport Media and Tech Podcasts, Josh Schaub interviews Mark and I about the future of sports venues, automated intelligence, contactless payments, and voice e-commerce. Thank you for joining us on Kamish Talks. Appreciate having you on. We're obviously in a very uh, tenuous time at this point, and we're looking forward to your expertise on what the world will look like in sports going forward. So first off, give us your origin story for each of you. Tell us about TicketSocket and the, the story there and what your role is. Yeah, sure. So my name is Keel Blake, and uh, I uh, am an EVP at TicketSocket. We're a white-labeled ticketing company, uh, but my background uh, really started in sports and collegiate athletics. I'm wearing uh, UCF right here today to represent, and uh, my passion for sports uh, started as a, as a kid, and um, I'm just going to share, uh, you know, my love of tennis and basketball uh, started and it really drove that, but then it was the influence of professors in college that opened up my mind to the opportunity to work in sport business. So I have to call out Dr. Lapchick, especially Dr. Harrison uh, and Professor Scott Buckstein, uh, who all made a lasting impact and it's why I, I teach today. So Mark, how about you? Yeah, um, I met Keel, um, I guess we decided it was about almost eight or nine years ago. Um, my background's in the college athletic space and um, before I came down here to Florida, um, I'd spent about 10 years um, either on campus I worked at Bryant University and Boston College, and then seven years at the Big East Conference into the American Conference. Um, and then the last three I spent with a uh, company called New Lion College, who does who did uh, college websites, mobile apps. Um, they were part of a larger um, streaming organization that did uh, uh, some of the big pro leagues, the NBA, the NFL, um, and then we were the college division. So it kind of taken what I did um, when I was at the conference and uh, learned how to build it from the other side. And that's kind of what I do with TicketSocket. I joined up with Keel last summer um, and, you know, been, been helping uh, develop our, our ticketing product. Well, well, so Mark, you've been in a conference setting and we talk a lot about leagues here. So hmm. I think we can share some stories over beers about our frustrations oh, yeah. in certain yeah. respects. <laughs> Team service. It's a unique, this stuff yeah, you have to kind of be in it to, to understand it, right? You, yeah. You know, we're all feel like we have like a secret key or something when we work at a conference that like, Oh yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah. That, and, and that, and uh, the requirement to be a neutral party during championships and stuff and like no clapping, no, whatever. Very people diplomatic. don't understand that. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> cool. Well, tell us about ticket talking. Keel, we'll go back to you. Tell us a little about the company, what the vision is and what the problem is it's trying to solve. Yeah, you know, that's a great question, Josh. And that's where, you know, TicketSocket really started with an idea of helping clients build their own experience. You know, our, our founder came from the payment space and it had white labeled payments, uh, payment, you know, processing uh, websites for uh, utility companies. So you think, you know, how did that relate to sport and where did that make it start? And so, you know, he left that world and, and, and our organization uh, started with the idea of, helping uh, uh, entertainment and music festivals and, uh, and then attractions do the same thing because uh, there's a lot of value in owning your own data, right? There's a lot of value in being able to own your own experience, uh, have that brand control. Um, and then the last thing, which, you know, we've been talking about for years, but, you know, we've really experienced now in the past few months is being able to, to have full control over your revenue. Um, so one thing that's really different about TicketSocket is that you know, the merchant account or the processor of record in a lot of cases um, are our clients. And so uh, that money goes directly into their accounts. 
uh, versus uh, you know going through and flowing through ticket sockets. So our revenue is really only our service fee. Um, so that's a big difference. So we work with companies like Spartan Race, uh, FIBA, the International Federation of Basketball, uh, Meow Wolf, uh, an exciting attraction out of Santa Fe that's growing all over the country, Las Vegas, other locations, uh, Virgin Fest, uh, the Korean Basketball League, Kovo, um, and growing from there. Mark, tell yeah, us about I, your role. Yeah, I, I came over to help, um, you know, and, and what Kiel just kind of outlined in addition to the, the opportunity to work with him. That, that vision was just really exciting for me uh, to say, we're gonna give our partners more control of, of all those elements. So um, it, it was really exciting to be able to, um, to assist with that. I think that's a great opportunity. I think every organization I've ever worked for or worked with would find that a compelling you know, um, value proposition. So basically what I do, um, you know, Keel and I work very closely um, on our enterprise Products, which is focused on seated events and, and time ticketing events. Uh, you know, it's a newer portion of our business, but it's one that's developing fast and, and we're putting it together um, in a really thoughtful way and excited about what it's going to bring. So again, it's, uh, it's a little bit of everything uh, for our team. You know, we're both here in Orlando. So uh, we spend a lot of time on the phone with, with our partners, um, with, uh, with other vendors, you know, for strategic partnerships and, and then just uh, with the team uh, of our developers. So my day to day is a lot of time uh, taking projects with them, uh, delivering them, you know, scoping them out, uh, testing. Um, and then finally, the most fun part is obviously getting it out to our clients. Yeah. So you touched on a couple things during both of those segments. One is cost, right? So we typically mm -hmm. use Ticketmaster for a lot of our teams in the leagues we deal with. And mm -hmm. the fees for the consumer are outrageous. And the, and the fees for our teams and, and the mm -hmm. interactivity between arena, team, consumer, there's this huge blockade around the data. So let us delve into a little bit about the importance of our fan data, which we have a very hard time getting. Tell us what ticket side will give us that we can't get from our current partners. Yeah, you know, Josh, that's something that we talked about leagues earlier, and, and that's a, a big important part. You know, we're all recognizing that data is really where the relationship starts with fans, right? No matter where they are in the life cycle of becoming a fan or entering the arena or the venue or watching something online, it's really the data as organizations grow that we see the ability to grow brands. Um, and that's where our company helps organizations own their own data. We're not using that data or sharing it with any other entities. We're not um, selling it. Uh, that's where leagues can come in and build their own data to then really own that experience with their fans um, and then leverage those partnerships that they have. And what we're all finding in sport is the best type of partnerships are the ones that add value to our fans, whether it's in sponsorship, whether it's in, through media. Um, but this is where it creates that ecosystem of that data for our clients. So to walk us through the depth of that data. What kind of information are you giving back to the uh partner, mm -hmm. the team in this case. Yeah. So that, that's where it, it's going to be all the purchase information. It's going to be the customer info. It's going to be attendance. It's going to be um, in terms of, you know, where they're going on, on the website usage, things like that through ticketing. Um, we also have open APIs. So we work with other entities that work around sport. So uh, I'm not going to give specific examples right now, just for sake of um, confidentiality, but with some of our clients, I'll give the example, they work with large agencies or large data organizations. So we're not giving the data out to anyone else, but they may have their own ecosystem of an agency that delivers an experience to that data so that we can use our API and it can just sync that directly with 
their partner organizations to deliver an experience. So yeah, it's the possibility is really endless. So sorry, Josh. <laughs> no, it's okay. I was just, you know, part of the, the issue we have at leagues is sharing best practices across mm -hmm. our teams. And we're trying to create more team services around that. And the frustration is everybody has a different ticket provider. Mm -hmm. So when you have different ticket providers, you can't get in a meeting with all of your general managers and say, what do you do over here in X city? And what do you do over here in Y city? Cause mm -hmm. they can't compare the same data points mm -hmm. and they can't compare the same relationships. And I can't bring in a company like yours to speak on behalf of what's the best thing to do to move the ball forward from a data perspective or consumer perspective and make it easier or frictionless. Yeah. You make a great point. And there's, there's cases where we've gone in and had, had that exact dialogue. And, you know, part of that is saying, okay, each team owns their own data. You know, other teams aren't going to have access to that data, but the league as a whole, they may give permission to certain layers of that data that benefit the entire, or, you know, the entire league as, as a whole working together. But, you know, team A shouldn't see team B's data, especially if they're competitive. Now, if they want to share that and open it up, that's where we can make that really simple and easy. I see. Mark, anything to add there? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned um, about the price points. I think that's another one, you know, as far as like hidden fees and we've seen lawsuits and, you know, I think congressional mm -hmm. hearings about how we're going to label things the right way. And, you know, again, I think what it comes back to with us is we just don't want to make those decisions on, on behalf of our partners. So, you know, we, we think of ourselves as, as agnostic in a lot of these different cases, you know, as far as, you know, we're going to help you, gather the data that Keel was just talking about. Um, you know, we have certain things we can do to, to, to gather more of it or less of it or whatever when they're doing a, a transaction. Um, but then, you know, it's basically in their hands after that. You know, and I think that's appealing for a lot of um, companies when you think of security and you think of uh, data privacy regulations that are coming into, into account and they're just even being remarketed to. You know, if you, if you have a group of fans who are gonna use the platform and they buy your tickets, um, you know, should they be getting hit with other offers that aren't your tickets? And, you know, some of the bigger, bigger companies and the ones that aggregate a lot and have, you know, if they're owning that data, they can go ahead and, and market to you about something that's related. Something you might like, but as a customer, you might like, but, you know, as a, um, as an event organizer, you know, I think that runs a risk of saying, um, well, we're going to cannibalize, it's going to cannibalize your event and they might find something they want to do otherwise. And, you know, is that really the best experience for an event organizer? So, yeah, yeah. I think another frustration from a league perspective is teams lo having to lock into five, five-year deals, you know, or mm -hmm. more options mm -hmm. and whatnot. What's your term that Ticket Socket looks for? Because flexibility is going to be key for providers in this new economy. So, what does it look like for you? Yeah, so it's terms right now for us, you know, we, we do have some short-term deals, but typically we're looking for two or three-year terms uh, to start. Uh, we do have some one-year terms, but it really just comes down to pricing, right? The longer the term, the better the, the, the price and service fees that we can give from that standpoint. Uh, we range in terms of, of how we charge from if it's larger leagues and things like that to licensing fees uh, as opposed to per ticket. So you can control costs. You can say, we know we do an annual amount of this, this many number of tickets. And so we say, okay, we'll give you a significant uh, discount on that. And here's the licensing. It's a regular annual or monthly payment. Mm -hmm. um, and then on the other end of that, and, and that's where, you know, you asked about fees and that side, then the leagues and the teams actually get to charge their own fees or they can wipe them out completely and just uh, eliminate that. So that's really in the hands of the league and how they want to, uh, to leverage that experience, local taxes, that side. But then the other um, perspective is that, you know, we're now seeing there's a lot of uncertainty in the space as things come back. We all know it's going to come back and we're all positive and optimistic of, of the steps that it's going to take. 
Um, but as we take these cautious steps, people are unsure on, you know, their annual averages aren't going to be the same. So we also then do, do, do the per ticket model, but it's, it's a much different type of, um, you know, financial model than a, a traditional ticketing partner. Well, let's fast forward a little bit. So we're seeing a new economy. We're seeing contactless type delivery, whether you're buying your pizza, food, retail, whatever. I don't want to touch anything. Um, what, and paper tickets are likely out the window for most venues. In your mind, what did the new venue look like? And if you could go beyond your expertise in ticketing and talk us about the future of attending a large sporting event. Yeah, you know, it, it's something that we've been talking about a lot, right? Because technology gives us the ability to drive change in advance and move forward, but it only moves at the rate at which our social behavior and human behavior allows, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we've had all this technology to do 100% mobile ticketing. We've had all this technology to engage people in second screen experiences, to use RFID tracking, um, to use augmented reality, VR, and, you know, some people may argue that some technology right now is impractical, but it's only impractical because we haven't dedicated the resources to it yet to make it more practical. And so I think, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head, Josh, right now with, with how people are going to be interacting with events, they're going to have much different expectations. Um, and I, I really think the supply and demand of it is going to change over the next few months. And um, people have a, a big um, need and a big desire for live sports, but I think the live experience is going to change a little bit, but change in a way where it's embracing technology. Um, it's embracing, uh, you know, more local food, more local vendors. So when you walk into um, an arena, I believe the future is going to look like there's facial recognition. It's frictionless entry. You're walking in, uh, your temperature is being scanned through, a, through that same camera that's, that's um, matched up with an RFID sensor that's, that's checking your ticket. There's a gate that you walk through that just gives a green light. There's people further back that are watching just to watch the green lights flashing. If there's a red light, there's a designated area that you walk over into. Once you walk in, you're then opening up your phone because it's a mobile ticket that has uh, a AR you know, device through to, to guide you to your seat. So you no longer have to talk to anyone to do that. Um, as you sit down, you might have pre-ordered food. So you don't have to go to concessions. So you don't have to handle any of the, I, I think that's where to your point, I think, contactless payment is going to be the future because then you don't have to touch anything. Everything can be ordered from your mobile device and you're just going out of there to pick it up or it's being delivered to you at your seat. Um, so I think this current environment and the pause, you know, is really, um, it's, it's showing the best in people right now in terms of giving back to their communities, but it's also allowing people to take a step back and say, how can sport and how can venues improve to be better tomorrow? Yeah, I, I add one thing to that. I think it's, it's and Kiel touched on it, but we're, what we're doing is basically accelerating a lot of these things that I think we're already getting close to anyway. Um, you know, the society is much more, you know, less cash. It's becoming much more, almost everybody has a card now. And then the next step is not a big jump to the contactless cards. Um, you know, you, you talked about ordering events, uh, I'm sorry, ordering concessions and having them get delivered to your seat or, you know, there's some great, great companies that already do that. And, yeah, I think it's it's going to speed adoption because that's going to be your only option. That's how this stuff works a lot of the time. Um, so I, I think it's really interesting. And I think, you know, I think there's two discussions about what the future of these, um, you know, live events um, are. You know, one is the immediate, you know, maybe say before we have a, a COVID-19 virus uh, vaccine for the virus. 
Um, and then the other one is, what does it look like afterwards? And I think the question then becomes like, are, are these changes that we're talking about in the short term, are they gonna be the, the, you know, the, the very overused phrase, the new normal? I don't necessarily think so. I think it'll accelerate certain other things because you know, the other thing to kind of keep in mind, and it, it's, it's kind of obvious, but it, I think it, it goes with saying is, you know, if a vaccine comes out, you know, a lot of these issues that we're talking about right now aren't as, uh, as urgent, right? I mean, we're not gonna have to have uh, 15,000 fans in a 65,000 seat stadium, which is like the Dolphins basically said, you know, I thought that was an interesting proposal they put out there, what it would look like this year if they're back, you know, and it's a 65,000 seat stadium, they'd only have about 15,000 uh, people in the, in the stadium. You know, uh, next baseball season starts in April, there's a possibility we have a vaccine. So are we, are we gonna be making changes for the long term, is it going to be as drastic as some people think? I'm not sure. I think it might be more about equipping the, the venue to have uh, quick response time to things like this. Because I hope what we learn from this is that you know this probably won't be the last pandemic of some kind. You know these things are going to flare up more and more. How is the venue going to be able to re react to that quickly instead of having to kind of go into full shutdown? Which is what I hope we get to after all this is is through. Yeah. Someone said to me the other day, I thought it was really powerful. What are we doing today? whereby in three years we look back and say, thank God for the coronavirus because we're able to accomplish this. Mm -hmm. You know, so if, for instance, in our leagues right now, in baseball, if we don't have a baseball season, there's some time on my hands Mm -hmm. to figure out some long-term strategic initiatives that I didn't have time to do previously. Soccer is the same thing. The league I commissioned in soccer shut down and we start to rethink our economic model because we otherwise would be in our normal routine of playoffs, ball deals, vendor deals, TV deals, so on and so forth. And now you really start to think about a restructuring of an economic model and what it looks like for the future. So that's, that's positive. Yeah, Josh, the electric car was invented in 1832 by Robert Anderson. Uh, and here we are in 2020. And now people are actually driving electric cars. That's so fascinating. It, it takes it takes, you know, this social change, right. And, and, and so, you know, back then, obviously, it was the it was the love of, of, motorsports and, and, and gas and, and the oil industry and that. And now we're seeing, you know, the impact in terms of the importance around sustainability and the, and just the benefits of electric. And, you know, we're seeing the development racing, how electric can be used. And, you know, we, we look at hotels, the travel industry that's innovating overnight, you know, hotels have been talking about, um, or I'm sorry, people that have been in hotels have been talking about the uncleanliness for years. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden you have hotels like Hilton coming out with, and this is to their, you know, to their credit, a program through Lysol that's, uh, you know, Lysol protection in a clean stay where they put a seal on the door before you walk in. Um, so, you know, nobody's been in that room after it's been completely cleaned with this product. Yeah. Right. And so it, did it, you know, why was it now? I mean, to this point that all of a sudden this change happened because this has been a problem and a challenge for many years, but this is to your point, Josh, I think we are going to see a lot of shifts from the expectation of fans and consumers around just wanting a little bit more in their experience um, because of what's happening right now. Yeah. I think the other thing we as a society are pushing on is speed, right? Speed of transactions. Things I don't do anymore is picking up the phone and calling someone to order something, right? Mm -hmm. It's gotta be, and I, I've said this um, and I've heard this too, but when I go to buy tickets, I want like two clicks. I don't want any more than that. And guess what? I also want to pay with my thumbprint. I want my thumbprint on my phone 
pay it because I don't want to enter my credit card number anymore. I don't even want to take a picture of my credit card anymore. So that's the future. So back to the futurist point of view of sports, I'm going to buy tickets. How do we get to what I just described? What's the next chapter? I'll go to Mark for this answer. It's a good question. I mean, so the question being, how do we get to that completely frictionless ticket experience buying? Is that, is that basically the question? Yeah. And I've got some yeah. ideas, just so you know, this is a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, um, I guess I would say building the, the community from the team standpoint is going to be a big part of that. Like having, if you're Keel Blake and an Orlando Magic fan, uh, having the Magic understand a lot about your, your behavior as a consumer, really being in there is, you know, all your information saved, uh, which is done to some extent, but it's still kind of clunky right now. I think that's going to be one of them. Um, you know, I think there's some interesting technology improvements and like the theory of blockchain and ticketing. And I think that, you know, we haven't really unwrapped that completely, but, you know, being able to see a, a single point of sale on a ticket and the entire transaction history, you know, that can't be forged, can't be hacked, can't anything like that. I think that's going to be important. Um, but I, I think those are some of the, the key points um, to get to that point. Neil? Yeah, you know, I, I agree with Mark and, and, you know, I don't think the ticket is any longer just your access to the event. I really think the ticket represents your history and your relationship with an organization, whether it's through digital or, you know, digital events or whether it's through physical events. And I think that, you know, it's really the focal point for how organizations are going to gather data around you. And I think that um, that ticket really is going to drive and become the vehicle that they deliver other experiences to you, whether you're in the stadium or not. You know, when we look at the future of sport, I look at globalization and what's happening right now, and it doesn't matter the size of the team or where you're at, but it, you know, we live in a, a, an age of technology where your content can reach anybody anywhere in the world. You know, we're only a couple years away from global Wi-Fi. Elon Musk with Starlink sending up, you know, um, sending up uh, these satellites um, you know, on a regular basis where we're going to have access where every single person in the world within the next, even if it's not two, say next decade, will have access to sport. We're going to have the largest audience we've ever seen. And the biggest opportunity for quote unquote ticket really is through digital. Mm -hmm. um, and it's through engaging them through, um, through. So when I, when I, when you say ticket, I think the ticket is really just, it's almost like your badge, right? This, I'm a fan, but this is, my, this is my ticket, my badge to get access, whether I'm going to the venue, whether I'm going to buy something at the store, whether, and I think all these things, because the technology is there, but I think slowly but surely, and something's faster now because of the social environment and, and, and the current environment of COVID are going to move faster to roll it all together into one contact point for the fan. Now getting there again, to your point, there's a lot of challenges between teams, between leagues, between, but I think the leagues that adopt it faster are going to see such a significant benefit because of, of where the world's going from a connectivity standpoint. Yeah. And, and here's another one, voice e-commerce, right? So mm -hmm. when I say, Hey Alexa, Hey Siri, I want to buy two tickets to the Winnipeg gold eyes. How does ticket socket integrate with Amazon? That's one of the hurdles integrations, APIs with current systems where teams have this loyalty to whatever they've been using for years. They're like, you know what? I'm used to this. I just don't want to move on. I think that's one of the, the big hurdles coming up, but I think voice e-commerce we have to keep our eye on because I don't even want to touch my thumbprint on the phone anymore. I just want to talk and get it to me. 
So that'll be interesting going forward. So what were your takes on the, the, the seamless ticket experience? You said you, you teased some that you had. What are, what are your thoughts, Josh? Uh, on the seamless ticket experience? Yeah. How do we get there? Um, well, one is breaking down these hurdles. And I, I think you're on the right path with cost, right? If you tell me I need to ditch Ticketmaster, I'd say, I would love that. But you know what? It's all set up. It's a good system. And you say, listen, it's we're 10% of the cost. That mental hurdle of getting rid of them gets out, you know, goes in my head. Same with you pitching arenas and stadiums, because I know arenas have one ticketing system for any vendor that's in there, getting them off of Ticketmaster if you are a fraction of their cost, that's the way to go. Cause everyone's getting squeezed so hard on cost. Uh, that's the path. I think the other problem we've always had on the ticketing side is the integration and the usability of the seat map and just having the appropriate seat map delivery to the consumer, having it appropriate and accurate every time that's been our difficulty. And I, I know there's one system we use in baseball that's been around for years and it looks like it was drafted in 1980 or created in 1980, but it is simple it's accurate and it's easy to use. It's not complicated. There's not a lot of buttons to push. Um, and that's what people seem to gravitate to. So going back to the consumer yeah. from the enterprise side is the same way. They don't want to push a lot of buttons either. They want data spit out. They want to push a button two times to get this seat to this person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everyone wants convenience, right? Whether it's the consumer or whether it's, it's the business that's going through it. And I'd say, you know, from our perspective, we're looking at it. Ticket sockets, one, one part of the puzzle, right? It's one, one piece. But what we positioned ourselves as is with our API and our flexibility from a software integration standpoint is to leverage, um, you know, some of the best technologies to be able to deliver that data to serve that experience. So I'm not going to say we're not the answer for every single function of delivering the experience around that data, but the difference is we're nimble enough to be able to connect quickly with these other services and do a lot of these, um, you know, these, these uh, new age in terms of like blockchain security or mobile ticket delivery with more security around it and things like that, because we may not be the, the builder of every single facet of it, but we are able to connect in and plug in and fit into the model because every league is different and every league has different associations with different technology partners, whether they're partnered with Microsoft, whether they're partnered with Amazon, whether they're partnered with, you know, we could go down the list of all the different vendors. Um, and I shouldn't say vendors, but really partners um, in terms of technology that they work with um, that we can integrate in with yeah. in that experience. I, I can tell you right now, if we're talking and there's a competitor that gives me more data, I'm probably going with them because there'll be an associated cost with that. But that data is important in attaching the ticket data, the concession data to the consumer's activity outside of the stadium. And I'll give you an example. If I knew that our consumer on social media posted a picture of them drinking Miller Lite and I could tell them ahead of coming to the stadium, there's a Miller Lite at this concession stand. That is really powerful. Yeah, yeah, That is extremely is. powerful. And then, so you're talking about ticket socket, API connecting to concessions, connecting to something else, whoever, and I hate to use this word scraping social media data because that is a stigma to it. But <laughs> if we are somehow observing the consumer and they give us permission to yeah. you know, observe their behavior outside of the stadium, where we can predict what they're going to do in our stadium, that is ultimately powerful. If you can get there, that's a game changer. You, you said it right there. It's, it, permission is the key, right? With so much change going on around data laws, privacy laws, um, you know, in California, soon to be across the United States, GDPR, you know, we're constantly looking at and reviewing this. But, you know, that's where I say we're just one piece, but there's so much data out there. And we talked about voice e-commerce, but imagine what, 
can be done when machine learning has access to that data in a fan because a fan wants to get the best experience with a team gives permission to use that data mm -hmm. so that when you're watching something, you know, uh, Microsoft right now just partnered with the NBA. They're using Azure and they're using uh, deep data analytics to do machine learning to pull specific videos from the past that are similar to say Steph Curry hits a three pointer from the baseline, they're going to pull a video of four or five other moments that won a game in the same way using the data statistics time all in milliseconds where no human could do that that fast. But based on which teams you're fans of, they're going to serve you one of those five videos because they know that you like that player the best, right? Yeah. Say it's right now, you know, I'm, I'm a big Michael Jordan fan and, and grew up in that era, right? The last dance happening right now. Of course, I would love to see every single moment the Bulls relates to current day basketball, right? Yep. Because there's the constant comparison back and forth between that era and this era. Um, now, with that said, going back to voice e-commerce, when you, when you give that access, you're talking about the future is virtual assistants. You're talking about you know, virtual assistants booking things for you. So you say, hey, and I can't even say it out loud because my device is going to go off. But hey, Amazon's assistant. Hey, Google's assistant. Will you book this ticket for me? Will you check when the next game is? All that could be done and handled over voice. The difference is we can use our API and connect with that very quickly. And there's so many good voice companies out there right, right now. Um, now, the, the next phase of that is, I think, really, and this is further down the road, but I think it's the sales side. Because imagine, Mark and I know each other. We talk about this stuff all the time you know, with work. We, we enjoy it. Um, but imagine someone calling Mark with the data of as if they were his best friend since he started going to sporting events. Yep. And, and, you know, you already have Google booking restaurant, um, you know, restaurant reservations with automated intelligence, people voices. Soon that's going to be the sport industry talking around ticket sales. Yep. Um, but anyhow, that, that's where I think the future is going and it's going to be progressive steps. Yeah, just uh, a challenge to your students that are listening out there. If you want to innovate too, um, a lot of people enjoy day trading out there. If we could do market buys on tickets. So buy me a, a Milwaukee wave ticket when the lower grandstand reaches $60 per ticket. And then all of a sudden they notify you four hours later, you bought your ticket because it was a market buy. I think that's another yeah. innovation that might be out there as well. Yeah. Diana. There's, there's a lot of stuff like that. I think yeah, you talk about challenging kind of students to think about this, these kind of events, you know, and Keel and I, kick this back and forth all the time, but these kind of events are, they don't only, they don't only accelerate the, the pace of innovation. There's going to be brand new stuff that, you know, we look back and it's like, okay, this company came, rose out of the, the, the 2020 pandemic and mm -hmm. doing some really neat things down the road. So, you know, we're all trying to kind of figure out what those are and how we can ride that wave and stuff, but there's going to be some neat stuff that comes out of this. Just be by having constraints, which a lot of times bring out, you know, the most creative, signs of, of business and people. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. Um, you know, I think we've covered a lot of ground here today on the future. And that's, that's one of my favorite topics is what can we predict coming out of this? And nobody really knows, but all data is really good. And I think your perspective has been outstanding about the buyer experience and the ticketing experience. And uh, for those that are listening to this, we would challenge you to write in and we'll give you a, an email at the end of this saying, write in, give us your ideas of what the future may look like mm -hmm. and challenge us 
um, as to something maybe we said that was incorrect or give us a thesis on what you believe is true. And maybe we'll come back on a future show and uh, delve through some of those. So Mark Keel, we appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure. Ticket Socket, I think is going to be on the rise. I know we, we should talk offline about what the world looks like for our leagues. And uh, good luck to everything going in the future. Thanks so much, Josh. Appreciate you having us on. Yeah, had a great time, Josh. Appreciate you. Appreciate it. Thank you. That concludes our episode. Join us for future topics like sustainability, augmented reality, virtual reality, and the future of streaming media.